Now, we must all fear evil men. But there is another kind of evil which we must fear most. And that is the indifference of good men. All right, folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 108, and we're going to be talking about The Boondock Saints. This great and fantastic film stars Sean Patrick Flannery, Norman Reedus, and William Defoe. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. Has anyone seen my cat? Slower. <laughs> hey, Jeff. Us two guys wouldn't ever harm an innocent person for any reason the Pollock guy he might he's kind of an idiot <laughs> i kind of saw that coming when i saw that particular scene i went well i know where slover is going to be changing his uh, intro up a little bit <laughs> nice very well done all right also joining us and you heard his voice uh folks he is back from his two-week hiatus of camping and uh, romantic dinner uh, candlelit dinners with his wife uh, our good and dear friend Jeff, I just wanted to cuddle Muncie. Steve, why don't you make like a tree? And get the f*** out of here! <laughs> <laughs> you know, i got to buy you a book of Proverbs or something there, Muncie. Oh, gosh. Well, folks, <laughs> you know, if you never heard these two guys together, you'd think they were the same person, but unfortunately, our other very good and dear friend... Ken, I feel like river dancing Roni <laughs> is uh, unable to uh, join us tonight. He had a um, he was being a good Samaritan tonight, so he's unable to be here because he is helping out a friend. But he sends his regrets and regards and uh, hopes we have a good show, and he's looking forward to hearing it. And I I can tell the way this thing is started off the bat, it's it's going to be a classic. <clears throat> so anyway, folks, we're going to be talking about the Boondock Saints. Uh, it's an older one. It was made in, uh, let's see, 1999, so uh, it, it seems like yesterday, but uh, it's been a while, so about, what, 15 years, guys. And the uh, director was Troy Duffy. I've seen this movie once before, and I probably saw it, I don't know, maybe about five or six years ago. So I, I watched it, and I think at the time when I seen it, I was kind of like in and out of the room, so I w wasn't really paying that much attention. And I remember it being pretty cool, but uh, not to the point where I – Went back and wanted to watch it again because just had a bunch of stuff going on at that time. But I really enjoyed it. It, it. It's a great one. And when I watched it again for the show, I thought, okay, this one's going on the Blu-ray because it is, uh, it's a classic. Uh, it's, it's more of a cult classic because this, well, we'll get into the trivia later on. And I actually promised folks we will get into trivia because I got a, kind of got called out on the last show, kept talking about the trivia, never got around to it. And I blame Jeff because it takes me to keep this podcast off the rail, and you on track. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Wait, that's a double negative. You realize I, I that. I totally understand that. Okay. <laughs> which which makes a positive. That's me, positive. Scarily, it makes Scarily. a bizarre sort of sense. Yeah. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. It did. I, I knew exactly what he meant. I, I, frighteningly so, we've been around each other way too long. Mm. There was a bizarre logic to it. <laughs> More importantly, your other two co-host um totally missed that you didn't do the trivia so you know there's enough blame to go around i blame you muncie or it took you out of your flow 
All right, because it allowed you guys to just have this relaxed nature about the podcast because I wasn't there mucking it up. And you know what? Some of our listeners pointed that out this last couple of weeks. Yeah. They they missed that. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Oh, wait a minute. My fan site did. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, all two of them? I was going to say all two of them. Right. <laughs> Me and my split personality. <laughs> okay, back. Back. Down, boy. Down. I'm, I'm back, everybody. <laughs> and mark it. Three hours from now, we will be off of this podcast. Yes. All right, folks. So you guys, you guys have seen this more. All right, so uh, you two, I know I've seen this more than I have because this is basically my second showing. So it was it was almost a fresh type of uh, movie for me to see. And I, I mean, I just love the hell out of it. I know you two guys have seen it uh, several times. And... It's I, I I know it's got that cult classic thing. I know they've done a sequel. They've done one or two sequels from this. Let's let's not speak of those, Steve. Uh, well, I heard they're horrible. So, oh my. well, Mark and I talked about it this week, <laughs> and I said the day that um, that it came out to for on rental at a red box, I went and grabbed the the sequel, and it played through. But I'm pretty sure at one point. I I just stopped paying attention because <laughs> it was terrible. It, it there's just no other words for it. I mean I I and the the, the, the just the, the sad thing is everybody returned mm-hmm. and you just thought there's no way that this can go wrong. But even I, the one that defended Prometheus for 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 a little bit um <laughs> recognized that what pile of shot that that second one was and i heard rumor that there might be a third one but i don't dare even go look to see if that's true yeah but but what? yes I'm, this one here go on now i'm guessing norman reedus he's 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 he is established now he is not going to uh, sully his uh uh, his career with that, but um, but you know what, guys? Before we uh, move on, I thought uh, we should give the uh, the Man Cave movie review intro to this great and fantastic film. What do you say? Absolutely, I've missed it. Yeah, missed you've missed it. it. All right, myself oh. through my headphones. Here we go. Fraternal twins Connor and Murphy McManus set out to rid Boston of criminals, mobsters, and ex-porn stars while at the same time avoiding a fabulous FBI agent. There was a firefight! (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Deb. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, normally what I've been doing, um, just, just to save time is I have, um, <clears throat> I, I've usually just had her read the, uh, the IMDB, uh, plot summary, but this one here, I actually kind of modified. Oh, you're getting better at it, huh? <clears throat> well, I had the time. That's why. So, oh, okay. yeah. So we got to the part where about ridding Boston of criminals, mobsters, and ex porn stars. There was only one porn star in this movie. Um, oh, contraire, mon frere. Maybe there were two, but I just, there there, were well, there was, two. there was the most famous one that. There was the most famous one, but you forgot the actress that was also in it. Was she the one with the cat? Um, no, she was, uh, the dancer. Oh, the one. 
Okay. Jenna yeah. Fine was her name. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Well, all right. Missed that one. Two. Yeah, because it was it. It definitely wasn't Rosengirdle Baumgartner. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know? Do you oh, watch like, that kind of porn? I don't I'm know. Going out, I'm going out on a limb on that one. I know. All right, so there you go, folks. That That's pretty much the uh, the synopsis of this movie. To put it succinctly, this is your classic vigilante movie with uh, two Irish guys that, you know, they're just kind of happy-go-lucky guys, and they kind of run across some bad people. And, uh, and and there's that one scene where it seems like they, they like, receive the Holy Spirit or something like that. And evidently it told them go out and buy a bunch of guns and go shoot people. Um, yeah, I think that, yeah. that was pretty much, I mean, uh, um, the, you know, the old man from the bar came in, gave him a number to call. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, and yeah, it was, it was, you know, sort of like they had a, a, you know, a message from heaven, so to say. And, and they, they took off with it. They were entrepreneurs. They were upstarts. But it just seemed like the way they kind of fell into it. I mean, it just, it seemed like it came very natural to them. They weren't looking for that fight. Hello? But you... Hello? Hello? All right. We're... Okay, sorry, folks. We had another uh, technical hiccup there. Actually, it wasn't Skype's fault this time. It was... Here it comes. Guess who? <laughs> it was uh, Jeff, who forgot to turn off his antivirus. No, which no. Is, which I, is, I turned it off. It, which just, is, it just came on. Yeah, it's scheduled to run right around the time the podcast is right in its prime, you know, momentum, and then all of a sudden, it just completely derails the show. I hardly think we are ever in our prime. Yeah. You have failed me for the last time. You know what? I I just now play that daily just so I can hear it and think of you, Steve. Thank you. All right, guys, <laughs> where the heck were we before, uh, you know, Jeff decided to... Uh, what did I decide to do? Where were we? I was lamenting on something. Oh, we were talking about how they they decided to become vigilantes. Yes. That's yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because they get in the fight. Yeah, they get in the fight with the Russians at the bar. Uh, you know, them at a bar. And that always kind of made me wonder why did I can't remember why did those two get singled out? Is it because they poured the whiskey on the one guy's ass and set it on fire? No, 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 no. They they got singled out because they were the mouthpieces for the group. Oh, that's right. That's right. I they, it was St. Patty's Day, and they said, hey, today's everybody's Irish, you know, and they tried to offer them a beer. And right. the big Russians were having nothing to do with it. Um, because, you know, they're just wanting to, you know, get, uh, whatever the whole, the old man behind the bar's name was. I can't remember. He had a fun name, but, um, they wanted to talk to him, and they just, they just wanted everybody out of there, but they were like, you know what? We're going to drink, and you can drink with us too. But, uh, they just weren't social, you know? No. And then they made the the comment about Chekhov. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Away, and that, it devolved from we, there. You get Spock, we got an away team. <laughs> yeah, that was classic. Yeah. yeah, they didn't find humor in that. And, but, but what, what set it off was the fact that they, the Russians spilt some beer. And it was mm-hmm. go time. That's well, what it was. Well, that's it. And you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, they, the Russians, I mean, I like the Russians, but they need to develop a sense of humor. Oh, yeah, they developed a sense of humor. It's yeah. called the Crimea. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when they develop a sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Russians in this one. So, um, well, at least people with Russian uh, accents. Steve, can you, just, can you just do me a huge favor? Sure. I need a palate cleanser. I think, you know, we can reset our karma here. Just... <laughs>
I feel much better. You're right. It was almost Carthage. Cartha- what's that word? <laughs> Cathartic. Cathartic. Car- Carthaginian? Carth- Ass! <laughs> you know what? You're going to have to get that as a sound clip now. You have to you have to bleep out the first part. Yeah, I try to keep it cleaner, folks. Oh, I forgot. I mean, I, you know, we could I, always throw an explicit tag and do a warning at the beginning. You know, I was almost thinking about doing that because speaking of speaking of uh trying to keep it clean, I don't know, guys. This one I think has won the record for F bombs. Two hundred and forty six. <laughs> yeah, I I'm thinking Wow. Did, that beats Goodfellas. I think it did. I don't even was. I knew Goodfellas hit the 200 mark, but I mean this one. I don't think there was hardly a sentence. I think the only time you didn't hear an f bomb was when the priest in the very beginning of the movie was giving like his his sermon, and after that, it was you know f bomb city afterwards. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean it was it was pretty raunchy. So this is not a movie. If you are offended by the f bomb. And it's, and it's derivatives. You may not want to watch this movie. You know, there's a few times where, <laughs> and it was funny because there's one of the scenes I was playing one of the, uh, the sound clips for Deb. She goes, are you going to bleep that out? I go, what? She goes, there's an F-bomb there. I said, you know, after a while you got numb to it. <laughs> yes. Seriously, yeah. Steve. Yeah. At some yeah. point you're like, you don't even notice it about, I don't know, 45 minutes into the movie. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even hear it. She goes, how could you not hear as clear as day? I said, I, you just got numb to it after a while. She Every, goes, oh. Every fifth word. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> although for the record, I just looked it up. Goodfellas has 300. So it still holds the record of podcasts that oh we've my. done. But you know what? We have to actually look at it from a time issue. I think Goodfellas was a longer movie, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I think oh, they filled yeah. it more F-bombs in this one. Oh, okay. So, so per capita. Per capita. This, <laughs> this one takes the cake. Jeff, can you run the numbers on that one for us on the math? Crank that out for us. You're the math major here. That is one every <laughs> thirty seconds. Wow. Well, there's one whole section where it's one every one point two seconds. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think I got that clip too. <laughs> I think I do. You might as well just put an explicit tag on this podcast. This one. <clears throat> well, I've already bleeped them out, so. Oh shit. <clears throat> what can I say? Uh guy all right, let's move on. We're, we're totally off the track here. All right, actors. Uh great acting cast in there. You've got your three main ones that everybody's gonna recognize. Actually there's a fourth. Uh uh, but the first one obviously is uh William Defoe. He plays Paul Smecker, who is the FBI agent that gets called in because all these murders that start taking place appear to be gangland. Uh, Russian mafia type murders. So they bring him in there. Little do they know it's just these, you know, two Irish guys that work in a meatpacking plant that are, you know, just going out and taking out bad guys. And uh, the two Irish guys are Connor and Murphy McManus. And Connor's played by Sean Patrick Flannery. Good Irish name. And then you have uh, Murphy McManus, who is played by Norman Reedus. And for those of you who don't know who that is, if you watch that uh, great and fantastic AMC series called The Walking Dead, that's Daryl with his crossbow. You, you realize uh, he's he is young in this one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he looks like he looks like a little kid in this. Well, they they. I mean, even Willem Dafoe. I mean, he he doesn't look young, young, but I mean, he's noticeably younger. I mean, he's clearly yeah. aged over the last decade or so. 
He was born in 1955, so he was, let's see, 99, so he was 50, I'm sorry, no, no 40, uh, I'm, Jeff, can you run the numbers on that? I'm sorry, 55 <laughs> and 90, that is uh, 45. This, this movie was made in 99. Oh, 99, so almost 2,000, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's uh, 44. Oh, yeah, so he's 44 years old when this came out. So, um, and there's another person that's in this movie that he shows up later, and it's it's kind of weird because he's not the type of guy that you would normally see in these kind of movies. <clears throat> and that is the uh, uh, the great Billy Connolly. Great Billy Connolly. Great. Yes. With probably the most magnificent hair and beard. He I is gorgeous. Seen. Yeah. Yes. It, oh. It it's it is a sight to behold. I'll just say that. So and, I wish uh, I could pull that off now, like right now. And no, I can't, so don't say anything. You couldn't pull off one one-hundredth of that right now, unless we braided your I'm just a back hair. hair. Yeah, yeah <laughs> back hair. If we just shaved his back and put it on his head, he might get about halfway there. <laughs> you know, they got that thing called locks for love, you know, and they usually require you to shave your head. I wonder if I shaved my back, it would still qualify. <laughs> no. no. Slightly different texture. No. That's called that's called locks for Brillo pads. Mm. No, but you see him, he comes in uh, at about the uh, the last third of the movie. Yeah, it's late. Yeah, it's, it's late in the movie. It's late for him, kind of a pseudo-main character. Yeah. It's almost a cameo. Yeah, the scene when he shows up, and he's got the he's got the six guns strapped to his uh, his chest, and he's got the, the glasses with the, uh, the big uh, Cuban cigar hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> that was a sight to behold. As a matter of fact, yeah. I'm thinking about just dressing up like that for Gen Con. Oh, that would be epic. Oh, obscure, obscure, but brilliantly obscure. I'm thinking about that. I could just get some, you know, like some fake pistols, you know, paste them. I could, I'm going to definitely have to get the wig. You're going to have to grow the beard and then turn it gray. I don't even think I can grow a beard. Even if I started now, I don't think I could get it like that. He, he, yeah, that's a look. Yeah, that dude, he's got a great look to him. Uh, He was, uh, he was born in 1942. So he's up there, folks. He's up there. And uh, you know where he was born? Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Fucking go! <laughs> he was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Not Glasgow. <laughs> Glasgow! Not Glasgow, you Glasgow. <laughs> Is that Claremont, Booker? <laughs> <laughs> well, anywhere, however you pronounce it, it's in Scotland. It's and if it's all Scottish, it's crap! Glasgow. Glasgow, you moron. Glasgow. What the? <laughs> you, you truly are Carol O'Connor, aren't you? <laughs> Next thing he's going to say is, and it's near Edinburgh. Edinburgh. <laughs> that's not how you say that? <laughs> well, that's well, how. That's you how, do. That's how we Americanize it. America. <laughs> I was going to say, it's... Well, and you also say, and you also say, Worcestershire. Worcestershire. <laughs> hey, Glasgow, Kabul. I mean, it's not Kabul. It's Kabul. 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 It's not a, it's not a paving stone, you idiot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So there you go, folks. That's the uh, I had to bring out the Billy Connolly. He was going to get mentioned anyway, and like I said, I was looking at this. I'm like, well, you know, there's got to be a Scottish reference because you know the Scots and the Irish, they're like second cousins twice removed. There's got to be from somebody from Scotland in this movie, and by God, that's about as Scottish as you get there. 
So it's my, it's my island. Yeah, it's my island. <laughs> but so it, I don't know, guys. What did you think about this? I thought it was really good. I thought the it, it had a little bit of that Pulp Fiction type of feel to it, a little bit of that uh, the Snatch feel, the way it moved, the dialogue. I thought the dialogue in this thing was really, really good. Okay, I'll take it. I was exposed to this. Some friends of mine had a movie night, and um, and they said, hey, come over here. We're going to watch this movie that we got from Canada. And because whenever they got it, you couldn't get it here in the States. And it's called The Boondock Saints, and it's it's great. And I'm like, okay, I've never, ever heard of this movie. So I uh, went over there, and, you know, you know this was back again, 99. You didn't know, you didn't know, Really, at that time, much of anybody in this movie except for Willem Dafoe. I mean, Willem Dafoe was, I mean, clearly the best-known actor in this at the time. I'm telling you, we were all just riveted to that TV when we were watching this. I was hooked immediately. It is such a fun ride because it's very believable as far as what would two amateur hitmen do in a situation like this? Well, of course, they would fall from the ceiling with rope twisted around their ankles, right? I mean, that's of course what would happen. <laughs> You've got to be opportunist, and, and, and you, you sort of have to be a little bit twisted, but this movie is, it intends to be over the top at times, but it's done very well. And as you said, Steve, the writing in this movie, surprisingly, aside from the 246 F-bombs, even though they're strategically well-placed in the movie, it is well-written and well-placed, and we'll talk about the music later, but the music, even though I find it difficult to define, is really, I think, at times what is what um, is what seals the deal for this movie, because it is so it is so integral to the whole operation of it. Mark? Um, yeah, to echo a couple things Jeff said, it's got a definitely, like we've all agreed, Pulp Fiction feel. It came out in the late 90s when a lot of these kind of movies popped. And it also kind of reminds me of Smoke and Aces. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that movie. Love Smoke and Aces. <laughs> Gotta admit, that's a great one. I, I really dig that movie. Oh, I haven't seen too. that in a while. Oh my god. It's, you know, and it's one of those, and we're laughing because I'm watching this movie and I had the same, I kind of laugh like, I'm really not supposed to be laughing. Right. But I'm laughing. And it, 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 Pulp Fiction did the same thing to me. Smoke and Aces did the same thing. It didn't go over the line, my taste line of Reservoir Dogs. That, I can't watch that movie too often. But it just had that vibe about it. And there was something about the way these two guys had a code, mm-hmm. and you rooted for these guys, and they're not dumb. They're very smart, but they've got a dumbass with them who has an unfortunate set of situations occur with his girlfriend's cat. <laughs> you know, the thing about it, we'll get to that. The thing about this movie I really liked is, is it make, is it, is it blazing new territory? No, we've seen this. This came out, like I said, in the 90s, a lot of these movies. But the actors, you, most of the actors in this movie, other than Willem Dafoe, you'd never really heard of. Uh-uh. So they're just kind of fresh. They're just throwing it out there. 
they're, and I think that's what makes it what one of the things I enjoyed about this movie was the actors really, really seem to inhabit their characters and really putting it out there. And then the great Willem Dafoe has, and I mentioned this to Jeff, he's kind of got this cross between the wolf from Pulp Fiction and Al Pacino from Heat when Al Pacino loses his shit on occasion. Yes. And, and then you have the overlay of he's gay, but he can't stand the overtly gay guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you have this layer of complexity to this guy who then has a moral crisis on top of it and visits a Catholic priest. I mean, all these things are going on and just coming at you and you're like, okay, I can roll with this. Oh, and we have an Elvis impersonator. Kind of. Sort kind of. of. Sort, sort of. of. Yeah. yeah. There is, there is an, inc- <laughs> there is an incredible amount of, of character development in this story. Yeah. All through it. Between, and it. And it goes back and forth. And, you know, there are really, there's really four main characters in here between the brothers, Del Rocco and, um, or Rocco. And, um, and Willem Dafoe's character. But as with a lot of the movies that we've, that we've talked about that really stand out and are good is that there's also this kind of secondary characters around them, which really help accent the, uh, the, the, the main characters in the story. And, you know, when you, when you talk about Willem Dafoe, you can't t- talk about him without talking about the three uh, detectives that basically are assigned to him in, in, in all this investigating because they, they add a level of, uh, a level to the show, which the whole time you're watching it as the viewer, you are, you're looking at William Defoe and how flamboyant and over the top he can be with kind of a, what the hell? And that's the same look as these three detectives have <laughs> throughout the movie. As as this guy is doing his thing, because he, let's, you know, William Defoe's character, who's a who's an FBI detective or agent, is is investigating all this stuff, and he has a he has his own way of doing things, um, and you know he 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 kind of narrates the show at times or narrates what's going on because he 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 has some talent, and these guys they're just they're young they're naive they're 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 learning what they can from him and you see them also develop throughout the show, but more importantly. You see them responding throughout the show in a very hands-off, behind-the-scenes way of interacting but not interacting at the same time. And one of the things, I, the scene where they're investigating the the big shooting at the at the hotel between the fat man or the fag man, as they originally say it. <laughs> the what? And you know, I'm sorry, Defo- I beg your pardon. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon. <laughs> oh. I guess that's what Ford was talking about. Um, <laughs> but you see, um, you see William Defoe just really into the investigation so much that he's got blood all over his gloved hands. And he's, he's very, he just really expresses himself with a lot of big maneuvers. And, and he, you know, he puts his fingers through his hair with all the blood on it. And the detectives look like they're going to, at one point, protest that he shouldn't do that and then you see them kind of catch themselves and think better of it and they're like you know what you do what you want to do because we're not going to we're not going to get your attention and draw your fire to us <laughs> it is it is really well done 
Because otherwise, I'm going to be getting you a latte and a bagel. Right. And you see that. I mean, you know, basically, William Defoe is just harassing them in the very beginning. And they kind of get gun shy. And so that that level of detail as far as how they interact with his character after that, I think, is just brilliant. What I liked about it is when you would see the scenes right before the McManus brothers would do something, they would like go in there and it would like fade out. And then the next thing you see, you know, uh, William Defoe's character is there with the Boston cops and they're doing the crime scene investigation. They're trying to figure out, it's like, all right, what the hell happened here? And then they start piecing it together, William Defoe does, and then it kind of zaps back to, here's how it happened. And you actually see all the action take place. It was, it, it's kind of like this neat flashback type of, um, feel, which is, and I don't know, it reminded me of something we've seen before, and I can't think of what it was. But it just, but it looked really good the way they did it. it it's kind of got that, they did something similar in Pulp Fiction, but, but they, it, it, it's not the same. They backed up the story to explain how the cops are trying to play catch up. Right. Uh-huh. It's not told, it's not told from flashback, and no. it's not told backwards. Um, it is told in, it's sort of, it's, it's narration. It's like, okay, well, this event happened. And so there's a narration that takes place trying to explain the chain of events. And what's it, what's great is in the beginning part of the show, he kind of, the narration is spot on. But as it progresses throughout the show, there's a few details that are left out here and there. And you can imagine that. It's how it is in real life that people are trying to put together where bodies are placed and, and, and where bullet holes have entered an exit and exactly how things went down. And, you know, you're probably going to get most of it right, but there's going to be some level of detail you can't get right. And, you know, you've got several different murder scenes because I think 33 people or 36 people end up dying in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but all along the way, you know, you've got, you've, you've sort of got, um, William Defoe's character coming and playing uh, clean up and saying, okay, well, here's how it went down. And, you know, the epic scene where there's the, the firefight between um, the brothers and, uh, and, and the, the, the six guys on the street, or wait a minute, couldn't have been one guy and six guns. Are you not paying attention and listening here, Greenlee? Um, <laughs> well, you know, who turns out to be the dumbass turned right. out to be right. <laughs> be right. You know what? That's the that's the level of progression in the show where, you know, you see them learning from Smecker. You start seeing the detectives learning from Smecker, figuring things out. But you know, Smecker is just too arrogant to consider that they might be right. And but you also, at the same time that that's happening, you realize that this guy is in a downward spiral throughout this investigation because he is becoming perplexed because it it's to him. These investigations are sort of mathematical. They, they should make sense. But because he hasn't really figured it out that, you know, this isn't a mob hit, these, he's, he's, he's missing the piece that it's guys that aren't even related to the mob that are doing this. And so it doesn't start to add up. And so it really starts to affect him. And so to see the downward spiral that he goes through, again, it's genius. It really is. I was just gonna, and there's another component to the narrative that you, you you hear one thing and then you learn something else is when Rocco decides he's going to whack the boss, right? He's going to do it. I'm going to whack the boss. I'm going to whack those guys. 
And the brothers go, okay, well, he went, because he calls him and says, I did it. I took care of it. Well, he did, but in typical Rocco fashion, they thought he did one thing, and he went and did another. Right. Right. So it, everybody's hearing a piece of the story that they believe to be true around the central story. Yeah, so there's a lot of those going on that on both sides of this fence, the guys trying to track them down, and then the guys who are being the vigilantes, and how they the progression from some misunderstandings or miscommunications, or in Rocco's case, inability to communicate effectively, um, <laughs> drive drive everybody to to the and then there was a gunfight, firefight, firefight. Thank you. Well, the you know the part for folks if you don't know when we talk about Rocco, that is actually played by. Um, uh, the, the actor, um, is David Della Rocco. Uh, so he actually just played himself. And he's, uh, I mean, he was part of the mob, but he was like good buddies with, uh, Connor and Murphy, uh, McManus. So they, you know, they really, and that was the thing, they really did like him. I mean, he was, you know, Rocco is your classic dumbass. I mean, he's <laughs> really, he's not a smart man. And, you know, and it's not like Connor and Murphy were like these geniuses. They just were, you know, well, they were definitely a couple of light bulbs brighter than he was, but, um, but they were all good buddies. And yeah, but like you said, that whole scene when Rocco goes, <laughs> yeah, he's, Rocco's got his own agenda. He's doing his own thing. Yeah. Ugh. Well, but he, there's a point where, he is wronged in the show what? and he realized he, you know, he's been used and, and he flips a switch. I mean, and it's not, I mean, the, the light, the switch doesn't go on. It really kind of goes off. I mean, he was already a dumbass <laughs> and it well, just got worse from there. You're right. Because that's the scene when, you know, when, uh, when Connor and Murphy go and take out all the Russians in the room and then they see Rocco was there you know, because Rocco was sent to take out the Russians, and they said, "Yo, you realize there were like nine guys in the room. You came in here with a six shooter, right? Right." And they're trying to convince him that, <laughs> like, you, you know, were set up. <laughs> you were set up. You were going to go in here, and maybe shoot somebody, but you were you were not walking out of here. And it took him a while, and you know, he realizes he was being played for a fool. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. So, you know, that, and that's where the show about halfway through kind of starts playing out. Right. And they, um, and, and, and it, it is, it, they, they are, they are really on their, uh, their vigilante spree at this point. Right. Right. Guys, what do you think? Favorite scenes? Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> I said, Arch. I said this on Facebook. This is going to be, this is going to be difficult to come up with a favorite scene. Mark, what's yours? Um, okay. I'll give you a couple. Obviously, the Willem Dafoe reenacting the gunfight in the poker game house. That is classic. That's classic. I love the slap fight in the ventilator shaft. <laughs> God damn, Slover, you're getting all mine, too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, you have to bring your fucking rope. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 what do we need rope for? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> and then we need it. 
Because ventilation shafts need to be big enough for not just one person to go through, but two people side by side. To have a, and to have a slap fight. And have a slap fight. <laughs> we can't hit each other. And I, I, I Jesus. Um, oh, I, I've got one, I've got one more. I really, I loved the Epiphany Confession by Willem Dafoe with the priest who is under duress, and I'll just leave it at that. Yep. Um, those are just three, and I, I could go on. I'm going to stop because I know you guys have have got probably others, but or the same. But it, it it's it, where do you begin and where do you end on this, Jeff? Um, well, you could you could begin <laughs> at the beginning of the show. You oh. could end at the credits <laughs> because the credits <laughs> are, are something. I mean, I. I couldn't even tell you. I could, you know what? They, they, they could put my name on the credits and I would have no idea because I'm too busy watching the end credits and, and the social commentary that they have break out between people on the street as they're doing their news interview about, about the saints. And do you agree? Do you disagree? And you know, you've got, you, and it really is a good social commentary for, Okay, well, these guys are out here killing bad people. Is this good? Is this bad? And you got people that they're interviewing are like, yeah, that's right. I want to get my game on too. Um, you know, and you got people that are like, are you crazy? No, you can't support this stuff. Um, and, and I always thought that was just really a nice, a nice ending to the movie to really debate. All right. Is killing bad people a good thing? And, and I think it does to a point kind of maybe you start getting you to question, should I have been rooting for these guys all along? Because they're out here killing all kinds of people. But aside from what you guys have mentioned, um, the scene where they go to the, uh, the strip club and, um, you know, and start doing, you know, kind of doing what they do. And, uh, you've got Rocco there, you know, sitting while they're, while the, while the, uh, the brothers are going in and making sure that people are dead and, and Rocco's sitting there looking at the, uh, looking at the, uh, dancer that has, uh, fallen over with her, uh, giant tata sticking straight up in the air. And, um, you know, he looks over and gets a cheap feel and the brothers yell out, Rocco! <laughs> and he stands up, I'll tip her! And, <laughs> it's like, it's like, this is brilliant writing! But, you know, you've got, uh, You've got Willem Dafoe, who's, you know, who shows up here with his character, trying to figure out what's going on, and he's like, where do you see this stuff? Bad TV. This stuff really does. Oh, no, he says that in after the guys come down from the ceiling. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. That, that's where that scene happens. But, um, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of putting this together right there, but he's missing some pieces. And, and it really, it really starts to show at that point that he is not, he's not putting all the pieces into place. Besides that one there and the ones you guys mentioned, I mean, you know, the, the, the beginning part where this all kicks off where you've got one of them, you know, taking a toilet to the top of a building <laughs> and jumping off to, you know, have a toilet land squarely on somebody's head and for them to, uh, uh, you know, basically body blow the next guy, which I'm glad to see that they didn't just have him get up and walk away because that would really knock the shit out of somebody yeah. if you jump, jumped five stories on top of somebody, you're not going to walk away from that either. But 
But that you know that that right there set the tone for the show to let you know what this movie was really going to be about. Well, I'll tell you that was one of the greatest things I thought when he jumped off that building with the toilet that he was handcuffed to. And folks, you have to if you if you're like what I said, yes. what? you got to see this. Yeah, you'll understand. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's one of those. It's it's just you're watching that going. This is not going to end well. <laughs> no, you're like. I mean, you know, you would think, okay, well, you're, he, great, he escaped, he was handcuffed to the toilet, which, by the way, that was a disgusting toilet. Mm. Yeah, it didn't even have a lid. No, it didn't. And, and you know, and he's, you know, he's got his face down by, you know, I don't, look, you know me, I like to take a good dump like anybody else, right? <laughs> but, you know what, I don't have, I got, you know, I don't have my face on that end of it. And, you know, they got him, you know, handcuffed around that toilet. And and for his brother, I mean, he just freaking rips it out of the floor. And you're like, okay, well, you know, he's going to go down and save his brother. Or apparently climb some stairs to the top of the building looking for a great vantage point to jump from yeah. to drop a porcelain toilet on top of somebody's head. You Brilliant. use the weapons you have. Well, yep. yes. But that right there, when I saw that, I was like, this is not the show that my daddy watches. I mean, this is different. Oh. This is a different show. And did you notice the other thing in that scene when the Chekhov is pointing his 50 caliber pistol? Desert Eagle. Yes. With the Soviet hammer and sickle yes. engraved on the, the end of the on barrel. The very, very end of the barrel. Yes. yes. It's little details like that. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, for a cheap ass movie. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, this was a just, this was just a throwaway movie. This, and there was no expectations. This made nothing in the box office. Nobody even saw this. Mm-mm. And to see if this goes back to your, you know, why this is a cult classic. Right. It was once it got released to DVD, this thing took off. I mean, it, the, the word of mouth just, I mean, again, I was invited over to watch this. This is the whole reason people were getting together was to watch this show. It just, it has taken on a life of its own. Right. Uh, just so you know, folks, when we talk about this movie you know, by today's standards and even by the standards of 1999, when we talk about it didn't take anything to make this movie, uh, that's about right. It was $7 million to make this movie. And you had some, like I said, at that point, you're, well, your big actor there was William Defoe. I mean, he was your A-list actor. Nobody knew who Norman Reedus was at the point. Um, but opening weekend in the United States, it showed on five screens. It made... Wait for it. And this is according to the IMDB um, uh, budget thing here. 19930 bucks. I'm sitting there yeah. thinking, you know, if they would have just closed the, the, the theater for that day and just checked the seat cushions, they probably would have came up with that much. But, you know, the thing is, when it got re-released and hit DVD and yep. got word of mouth, it's made $50 million. Yep. Uh, Mark, one of the classic scenes is the, uh, the, the slap fight in the uh, air duct. <laughs> And the, you know, falling through on the rope that they shouldn't have had and the uh, complete massacre of the Russians. Can we just sidebar? Where did they find a Russian who had obviously visited some headhunters in his early life? The guy had the smallest freaking head. <laughs> no, he just had a really big body. <laughs> okay. Oh, all right. Thank you. That Thanks for is, clearing that up for me. Yeah, that, uh, you're right. When I'm sitting there watching that, I'm like, okay, is that <laughs> really his hair too? 
Uh, yeah, and that's one of those I want to say it's almost kind of like a trope where you've got the scene where, you know, you've got action going on over here and then there's a little bit of action going over there. And you can just see, you've got, you know, he's in this hotel room. All these guys are sitting in a circle around him and he's just, you know, like ripping off, you know, he's just yelling in Russian and just having like this big lecture thing. But that particular Russian, uh, I actually looked him up because I thought he is a unique looking fellow. And his name is Victor Ped something T. Tranko. Victor Ped Tranko. I might have actually said that right the second time. Oh, and yeah. uh, he is a, he's an interesting looking guy. So that uh, is his body in his head? Uh, that is him. Uh, that wasn't, uh, there was no CGI involved. Evidently. Wow. Um, the last movie he made was, uh, he was a Ukrainian guard uh, in the Sum of All Fears. The one scene, and, and you talked about it, was uh, the whole way they filmed it. The scene when um, they go and they take out the poker game. Oh, it's, God. Yeah, it, you know, it's basically, and I know I'm screwing up the scene because I'm trying to explain it. It's one of those where you have to see it. But you've got the action happening. But William Defoe is in the middle of the action. Yes. Like he's, his, he's narrating the show, yeah. Yeah, he's like narrating the show, and it's just so well done. It's done so great, and I love it. It was it was awesome, just the way he did it. And uh, and like you said, there's there's the one scene where we talk about like his downward spiral because he is there trying to investigate this gang warfare that's going on, and there is no gang warfare going on. It's it's two guys that worked at a meatpacking facility that just decided to become vigilantes, and he hasn't figured it out yet. And you see, it gets to the point where he, I've got to see, I've got the sound clip, and it's called William Defoe Loses His Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys know which one it is. It's that scene where he's just, he's like practically ripping his shirt off, he's falling in the bushes and, <laughs> and screaming, and you see the Boston cops are like, Wow, he's he's lost. <laughs> they, he got has gone bye bye. They they yeah. just they have this look. Um, they're like, we're not going to interrupt him because every time we try to say something or do anything, you know, he asks us to go get a bagel or some cream <laughs> cheese for him. Right. The the blank stare on their face as he is throwing his fit. Um, it's priceless. I mean, there's just no reaction. There's nothing from them. Right, and it's great because they have that all through the movie where they're just kind of standing there silently. At times, it looks like they might want to protest, but they just think better of it, and they just they just stand there and look at him. And right. it's just brilliant how those they develop those guys. Even Greenlee, who is like usually the the ire of his wrath, um, just you know just just lets him go and make it let, lets him make a fool of himself and just takes it all in. But the best part in that scene. After he finds the missing piece that he needs to, you know, he's got his shirt three-fourths untucked. It's unbuttoned. <clears throat> his tie is all just disheveled. Yeah. He looks a mess. And he finally finds the piece that he's looking for, sticks in his pocket, takes the tie knot, cinches it up just a little bit, walks <laughs> by them, and then flips his hand to his wrist as he, like, sashays by them, yeah. <laughs> trying to show that he's got some composure as he walks away. Right. I I meant to do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There, there's one guy I have to mention, and and like I said, when I modified the uh, the intro for uh, 
uh, for Deb to do the uh, the Man Cave movie uh, intro of this great and fantastic film. I mentioned about ex-porn star. You actually had Ron Jeremy was in this movie. Mm-hmm. Who yeah, dies badly. Oh, my God. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what? I There's a lot of ways I want to die. That's not one of them. I've always said, you know, if I'm if I'm ever gonna die, the the best way to die is being shot in the back by a jealous husband. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Well, there is that. There's that. Don't, That's don't, a joke. Never mind. Don't let All right. know that. Yeah. <laughs> she just may frying pan you tonight. Yeah, she could, but <laughs> her, she wouldn't even know where the handle on a firing pan is. Oh. Um, oh. And this is Steve's last podcast, folks. I was gonna say. We'll, we'll be we'll be having a memorial service for Mr. Michaels we'll on Tuesday. This, we'll be doing this remotely from now on, wherever Ken is at each night. Wow! Wait a minute, who, th- there. Wait a minute who do you think cooks in this house? Uh, your daughter. The guys, we're gonna move on to trivia now. Uh, there's some uh, there's some decent stuff here, so we're gonna just move right on. And I love this part because if this is true, this is impressive, most impressive, most impressive. Shot in 32 days. I can believe it. That's wild. Wow. Well, you just get a hotel room in Boston and just walk around the city. I'm sure you can uh, get it done. Yeah. All right. The tattoo that Connor has on his left hand index finger says Veritas, which is Latin for truth. Murphy also has a tattoo in the same place, but on his right hand that says Equitas, which is Latin for justice slash equality. The church where Connor and Murphy attend Mass, the Church of the Covenant, is not a Catholic church, but a Protestant one. No Catholic churches in the area would allow filming in their sanctuary due to the objection of the plot of the film. But those crazy (laughs) Protestants had no problem with it. Well, that's because they're all heathens. Right. They're all going to hell anyway, so. All right. Here we Uh, go. We <laughs> send all hate mail. <laughs> oh gosh. Michael. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is where I say, wait a minute. I'm a Protestant. I can yeah, say that. Yeah. <laughs> so send it I'm to I'm part Jeff. of the group. I can dog on him. Yeah, I think I'm right. the only papist in this uh, group here. So. What are you? Well, I'm a Catholic light. Half the religion, none of the guilt. <laughs> Moving on. That would be Episcopalian, by the way. Send all hate mail to Marcus Slovaris. <laughs> Indianapolis. Westfield, Indiana. Westfield, Indiana. Westfield, Indiana. Crawfordsville. Yeah. One of those towns yeah. around. Crawfordsville. You'll find us. You'll get there. Okay, the F-bomb and its derivatives are used a total of 246 times, but we said that before. All right. Uh, when Connor and Murphy acquire their ammunition, the wall reads, while the wicked stand confounded. Call me with my saints surrounded. This is the English translation of the Latin words confutatus meledictus voce micum benedictus. So you got that Catholic school education at work there, huh? Yep, uh, and that's a Latin religious hymn by the Franciscan monk Tommaso de Celano. Like I said, I think I was probably one. I went to an old school Catholic church when I was a kid, and as an altar boy, we had to learn Latin, so. I remember a little bit. I I I, I rem- well, let's put it this way. I know how to read it. I, I can actually pronounce it right. Uh, if, I do remember most of that though. But all right, uh, let's see. Moving on to uh, some more trivia. The maximum security prison that uh, El Duce is being held is actually in Old Suffolk County Jail in Boston and is now a four-star hotel. 
I, wow. That took some major renovating. And All I right. love it. They call, they call him Il Duce. Yeah. He's about as Italian as I am Polish. He's next door. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Uh, let's see. When first entering the Shin Bane, the words, Abandon all hope ye who enter, are painted on the door. This is a reference to the literary masterpiece, The Divine Comedy by Dante. So there you go. Mark Wahlberg turned down the lead role to star, uh, I'm sorry, Mark Wahlberg turned down one of the lead roles to star, uh, Jesus Christ, in order to star in Boogie Nights. Good Lord, how hard is it to say that? For you? Very difficult for me. (laughs) There were a lot of names that were looked at for this movie. There were. Uh, Kevin Spacey was the original choice for Paul Smecker, which... You know, after seeing William Defoe, it's like, no, this this role was made for him. Yeah. In in my opinion, everybody was cast very well in this. Yeah. Yes. Let's put it this way: I cannot see Kevin Spacey doing the most uncomfortable scene in the movie, which we actually need to talk about that at some point. Oh, you mean the irrelevant female lead in the movie? No, there was no irrelevant female lead. <clears throat> <clears throat> yep, we'll get to that point. We'll actually talk about that right after the trivia, folks. Remind me, Mark. Okay. Please make a note of it. Yes, sir. Patrick Swayze, Stephen Dorff, and Robert De Niro each passed to act in this film, which I'm kind of glad because, well, maybe Stephen Dorff, maybe, but um, Swayze. Dorff, yeah. Dorff could have been good in this movie. Yeah. Dorff on, glo- on golf? <laughs> <laughs> no, you moron. Don't start. Sorry. Okay, this is one of those things where this is why studio people need to just stay the hell out of casting. For the role of Paul Smecker, Miramax prefers Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> oh Seriously? No, it gets worse. It gets worse. Oh, it gets worse? Oh, yeah, it gets Ow. worse. Oh, how about Bill Murray? <laughs> <laughs> or, wait for it, you Mike win. Myers. <laughs> Yeah, Mike Myers, he could do a Shrek impersonation. Whatever. All right. Uh, Connor and Murphy both used suppressed Beretta 92F pistols throughout the movie with Rocco's small revolver being a 38 caliber snub nose. My mom's got uh, one of those. Uh, the 38 snub nose is a Colt Python. The revolver is really a 357 Magnum, but both the mag, uh, the Magnum and the 38 can be shot out of the handgun. Uh, Mark, uh, back to your point. The Desert Eagles, the Russians uh, use, have a hammer and sickle just below the uh, <laughs> just below the bore of the gun. Love, Love it. it. Yep. Uh, Kenneth Branagh was considered for a role in the film. I could have seen him in this as the towel guy in the bathroom. Yep. <laughs> oh, Troy I Duff- love him. I love. Oh, stop right there. Another great scene. Him throwing. The little pink mints. <laughs> he, he was chucking those, wasn't he? <laughs> he's blind. And he's blind, okay? Were they pink or were they blue? I thought they were blue. Yeah, no, they're always pink. They're mints. Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. Troy Duffy, who was the director, expressed an interest in casting Brendan Fraser, Nikki Cat, and Ewan McGregor. You know where he's from. Stop it. With two of them as, <laughs> with two of them as the brothers, but no decisions were finalized. And none of those guys would have worked. Uh, Brendan Fraser's too big. I think that I, th- those two guys fit. They were perfect. I could have saw Ewan McGregor in there, maybe. 
Heath Ledger was considered at one point, but they really couldn't find someone that could have played his brother, basically somebody that looked similar to him. He wouldn't have worked. I don't think so, no. Yeah. Uh, all right, last but not least, I had to throw this one in there because I actually own one of these things. Uh, Papa Joe uses a Colt Python revolver at the end of the film. Well, yes, he does. Yep, and I ha- and my I still have my old man's and shot that uh, a couple weeks ago at the gun range. And let me tell you, it kicks like a mule. It actually, doesn't kick like a mule. It kicks like two mules. Yeah. Uh, well, my dad always said he goes, "I only have to hit you once. It doesn't matter where. I just have to. Hit you. I, just, I just have to come within five feet of you. Yeah, yeah. The shock wave alone. <laughs> a near miss will put you down. Absolutely. It'll stun you. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, all right, guys, we're done with trivia. Let us now move on to one of our other favorite parts of the show, and that is, brother, what you drinking? Uh, Jeff, you have not been here for the last... I haven't? ...couple of weeks, no. Oh. Uh, you've been here in spirit, but not in uh, physical presence. So uh, God knows what you've been drinking. You probably need to be drinking a lot when you're on the camp out, but I'm sure I... it's Kool-Aid. So share with us what... Ah, by well. What are you imbibing with, sir? Uh, here's what I'm doing tonight. I figured that, uh, because I know you guys better than you think, uh, that you guys would go with some sort of, you know, Irish type of drink tonight. So I'm going to go with its complement, which is the Russian side tonight. Oh, an imperial? Yeah. It is a chocolate Russian imperial stout 2013 from... Brothers, it's a Brothers Reserve from Widmer Brothers. It is, uh, it is a stout, um, and ale brewed with cocoa nibs. Beg your pardon? It's, yeah, cocoa beans. Nibs? Um, it, um, it is, um, I'll read the back here. Um, they have, uh, it is a good imperial stout, um, with, um, uh, Ecuadorian cocoa beans, and they, uh, brew to create a, uh, Decadent and complex beer that is sure to hit your sweet spot. Uh, you'll find flavors of cocoa, roasted barley, and coffee balanced out by a unique hop profile. It, you know what? It's it is it it is. If, if there was four parts to this, all four parts are, are equal, and they all blend well, very well together. Um, it's a nice. It's a pretty smooth beer. It's very dark. Um, and, and it, it is very foamy, but, um, it is, it is just a, a very well done beer. You get little hints and flavors of all of those that I just read. And tonight I'm currently drinking that in my, uh, one of my, uh, Pink Floyd pint glasses. Um, very this, nice. this one has a picture of the, uh, from the Division Bell cover, but, Ooh, um, love that album. Love I, that album. Very underrated. Love it. I love it. But yeah, so the beer, very nice. Um, not too, you know, most Imperials really hit you with the hops, but hops are well blended with this. And, um, um, you know, I give it, uh, I give it a great thumbs up. Um, and it comes in at a 9.3% alcohol by volume. May 15th, ladies and gentlemen, May 15th. I don't know what's worse, the Scottish thing or the Godzilla thing right now with you. I will tell you what, May 15th. Stop. Just stop. Did you buy your <sighs> tickets already? 
Well, you know what? I'm I'm trying to negotiate that. I'm trying to. They got seven and ten p.m. shows right now on May fifteenth. That's a Thursday, gentlemen. Thursday for that. We are rapidly approaching a two-week countdown. It's like Christmas for you, isn't it? You have really no idea. I mean, this. The anticipation. I mean, I, I know we were all looking forward to Prometheus and that was the giant letdown. So I've been there before, so I'm prepared. I just hope this isn't your Star Trek five. Oh dear. <laughs> look, look, if I, if I saw Godzilla 1995, all right, and lived to tell the tale. <laughs> was that with Matthew Broderick? That was that shite with Matthew Broderick. All right. Um, I, sure, I was in the theaters, and sure, I left highly disappointed. But, um, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this. So, yeah. anyways, but that's, uh, that's, that's my, uh, that's my beer. Thank you, gentlemen. Very good. Love it. Mr. Mark, what do you got? I, I went a different route. No, I did not go the Irish route tonight. Oh! Um, now, I, I, I was in the mood because, you know, the weather's warming up and it's spring, and I wanted to go a little, Another direction, a little crisper feel to the to the days. And so I picked up one of our favorite brewers, Founders, out of Michigan. Oh, nice. And I picked up their dry hopped pale ale. Hmm. Oh. Don't know if you've had this one. It, it it's a pale ale, so it's got a medium hoppiness to it. A little bit of citrus on the front end. It, it it's a really good drinking beer. Because it's got that hoppy flavor, but it's not pucker your lips up with a little bit of maltiness, a little malt on the back end. Really nice balance between the hops and the malts that play really well together. Nice, nice, just a good sustaining, just drink it, enjoy it kind of beer. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's not going to, it's not one of these with complex flavors, but it's a great spring. Enjoy a beer kind of, uh, pale ale. Really, Founders does great stuff. But I, I never tried it before and I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And I'm, I'm really pleased with it. And it, you know, this is one of these, Steve, that you could just pound a six pack and you wouldn't notice it. Cause it's 5.4 alcohol. Oh wow. That's it? Mm-hmm. It's a nice pale ale. Starts out hoppy and then ends with a little malt on the back end. Really nice. I'll tell you what, I had a new pale ale because, like I said, I've been kind of losing my taste for the hops, and it's not uh-huh. what I'm, I'm showcasing tonight. Um, but uh, uh, my good and dear for Eric, who lives behind me, he brought me over um, last week some uh, Goose Island pale ale. Oh, yeah. 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 That's good. If you if you like a little bit of hop in your beer, great yeah. beer. Nice nice beer. That's I recommend Founders, too. If you like some hops but don't want to be overwhelmed by it, it's perfect. It's right. perfect for a summer, spring-summer beer. Okay. I'm going to check that out this weekend. Very nice. <clears throat> and you? Well. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Oh, you know what? I, I, I bet it's going to be vanilla vodka and Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Or a Pabst. Oh. Well, Mark... Um, I, the okay. wife, it was really nice today. Okay. Just, just hear me out. Hear me out. She wanted beer can chicken. She wanted beer can chicken. She wanted okay. beer can chicken. 
So I'm like, okay, I'll make you beer can chicken. So I was all excited. I'm like, I'm going to go over there and I'll get some beer can chicken and, you know, get chicken, the spices and everything like that. And I don't use good beer for beer can chicken. No, no, you can't. You can't. You can't. It, no. It's, it's sacrilegious. So, right. um, well, Kroger, they've got, uh, Paps Blue Ribbon 16 ounces and six packs yeah. for, uh, five bucks. Actually, $4.99. There's a reason. And, um, Right around the time I was buying that, I was going to get some other beer. Actually, I was going to get the Irish pack uh, of the. They have the Guinness, the Smithicks, uh, the. Uh, in, fa- in fact, I think they've got the uh, the Harvest Stout in there. Oh. And there's another. One. Oh, the Black Lager is in that. I'm sorry, no, it's not the Harvest Stout. It's the uh, uh, Harp. Oh, Harp Lager. I was going to get that, and next thing I know, Deb calls me. She says, uh, "Before you leave, you need to get blah 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 blah." So I'm like, and it threw me off. And next thing I know, I'm home, I'm unpacking everything, and there's two things that I forgot. Well, actually, there's one thing I forgot and one thing that the uh, 95-year-old bag man forgot to put in my thing was uh, <laughs> the iced tea that she told me that, that – see, this is the whole thing. Deb calls, she says, get me some more of my iced tea. I'm like, okay, so I went and got the iced tea. And then I went back and checked out, forgetting to buy the um, <clears throat> uh, Irish pack that I was going to uh, showcase tonight. So I go home. I've got no beer, <laughs> no iced tea. So Shit. I'm getting Shit. So I got nothing from her, and I know I'm going to get a lot of shit from you guys because when you ask, what am I drinking tonight? What are you drinking tonight, Steve? Perhaps Blue Ribbon. You know. Oh, God. Well, what the, the hell the, else am I supposed the, to do? The I, level I of failure tonight on your part <laughs> surpasses it, all of mine Say it, brother. Combined. Well, the That's thing the most is, pathetic thing. How do you, I mean, how is it that you don't leave there with the beer with, with like its own bodyguard? All right. And then everything else is just secondary. I don't even understand that. You don't have any liquor in your cabinet? Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Don't you have some vodka and Diet Coke there, Nancy yeah. boy? Oh, no, no, no. Hold on. Hold Bourbon? on. There we go. I broke into the um, um, Armageddon Reserves because I thought I cannot do this particular show drinking Paps Blue Ribbon. Because I because there's one thing. Once I leave Kroger, I don't go back the same day. It doesn't matter. I I, I start scrounging from the neighbors before I drive back. You know, what? there's a 21st Amendment like two minutes from you. Doesn't matter. Once I'm home, I'm home. So what I did? What, what kind of <laughs> up rule is that? <laughs> it's my rule. I just... <laughs> Evidently, it's a <laughs> up rule. I don't even. So anyway, I broke into the uh, the Armageddon uh, supply storage closet that I have down here, and uh, guess what I've got? I got a bottle of Jamesons in there, bud. Ah. So I'm kicking back a little bottle of Jamesons. Well, actually, not a much bottle. better. I mean, it's a bottle down mm-hmm. here, and it's. No, I had a bottle. How much you got left? It's still about two-thirds full, so. Okay. Well, that, that redeems you. So there you go. I, I did, I'm like, I can't break my rule, can't go back, got the paps, but, you know, to be honest with you, my dad drank paps back in the day. But back in the day, that's all you had. You either had paps, you had hams, or you or had... Budweiser, a, or Budweiser, Or Miller. Or Miller. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that... They had no, I mean, they had nothing else to resort to. You, on the other hand, my good friend, have no excuse. No. Well, there's that. So that is what I'm drinking. And um, 
Our good wow. dear friend Ken, God knows what he had tonight. All I know is that he had to be a good Samaritan and drive somebody home. So, Well, how long yeah. does that take? Where they live, in Louisville? It could be. Well, hey, I don't know. He didn't say who he was driving home. Just saying. All right. Uh, all right, folks. That is it with uh, Brother What You Drinking. And we are now going to move on to one of our favorite parts of the show, and that is clips. Clips. All right, guys. Hang on. Get your feet set, boys. All right, here we go. Listen, boys. I've got some very bad news. Huh? I'm going to have to close down the bar. Well, the Russians are buying up buildings all over the town, including this one. And they're not letting me renew my lease. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but I actually, uh, I titled that one, uh, Tourette's. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's the next foundation to the eighth level of hell that they're building for me. That's right. <clears throat> All right. Uh, number two, this one here, guys, this is actually not a clip from the movie. And, uh, this is a little bit of an inside joke for, uh, uh, some of us that listen to the show. And these guys here are very good and dear friend, um, uh, Tony that lives down in the, uh, uh, the back hills of, uh, Indiana, Stan. He is, uh, one of our favorite, uh, uh, buddies and he brews beer. And, uh, he called me up the other day to explain to me how upset he was that one of his batches of beer went bad, and this is what he had to say. I recorded it. Wait, you forgot I dropped on my bullet. Well, and that was, I, I cut that part out. I had to okay. cut off at that point. So, yeah, there you go, Tony. That one's for you, bud. Uh, sorry about the uh, the bad batch of beer that you got, uh, but uh, I'm sure you'll make it up. <laughs> I don't I don't know why you bleeped out insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he said? Because I started, I just started bleeping stuff out. I'm sure you did. Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm like, I just think that sounded bad, so I'll bleep that part out. Oh, it did sound bad. You know, the whole scene, what, remember the scene when he was sitting there with his head? I thought he was dead. Remember when he's on the phone? Oh, yes. I mean, he's just he's not moving. Him. He's not moving. I'm like, oh, is he dead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Rocco said you're wondering the same thing. Is he yeah. dead? <laughs> Those are on Jeremy, for that matter. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. I love this part here. You're not supposed to tell a guy you're going to kill him no more. i got to tiptoe through the tulips with these assholes. Taking all the fun out of the job. <laughs> and you know, there got, to, there got to be a point. I just want to say, stop speaking English. Just stop. <laughs> Let me read the subtitle. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. I uh, love this part here. Now, you Irish cops are perking up. That's two sound theories in one day, neither of which deal with abnormally sized men. And it makes me feel like river dancing. <laughs> and then he does. And then, then he starts the river dance. <laughs> on a bar. And that's the best part. Some of the stuff, you hear the quotes, you missed all the visuals. So, oh, gosh. All right, guys, this is obviously one of the iconic uh, lines of the movie. I call it the prayer. Shepherds, we shall be for thee, my Lord, for thee. 
Power hath descended forth from thy hand, her feet may swiftly carry out thy command. So we shall flow a river forth to thee, and teeming with souls shall it be. Nomine Patriot Fili, Spiritus Sancti. And there you go. And they do that every time they shoot someone. They're, they're faithful, man. They are. They're like they, crusaders. They, they have, <laughs> well, Steve, you're, well put. You're right. They're on a mission from God. Right. So, you know, I mean, you know, maybe the Blues Brothers visited them or something. Yeah. But they, um, they believe that this is their calling. This is Rocco. This is one of Rocco's speeches. This is when he realizes that, um, you know, these are the guys that, uh, are out there doing the vigilante work. And he realizes he wants to be part of the group, and this is why he wants to be part of the group. Dude, I got phone numbers, addresses. I know where they're fucking. I know where they live. We could kill everyone. So what do you think? I'm strangely comfortable with it. <laughs> but Steve, I think you said it. He, you know, Rocco is. He wants to be a player in the game, but he is he is way out of the element. Yeah, he's out of his league. He doesn't even have enough light bulbs in the box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, he's the one he's the CFLs that they said you can't use anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh let's see. Next one here, guys, here it is. This is the classic line from the movie. This was a fing bomb dropping on Beva Claverville. For a few seconds, this place was Armageddon. Uh, there was a firefight! And you the know, music is perfectly paired to that. It's, it's probably one of the greatest scenes of cinema. That entire shootout right there. The way it was filmed, everything, and the way Defoe, it, did you notice what he did? It was a firefight. He did the platoon move. Yep. Remember when he was getting shot in platoon? It was like. Fell to the ground, I, raised yep. his arm. He did exactly what he did in platoon. I was like, holy shit, it's right out of platoon. That was a great homage right there. Uh, all right. This is the next one here. This is called, I referred to this one called Defoe losing his shit. They use ammonia. None of this is any good. You know what that means? Even if we get suspects in the case, we got nothing, nothing, nothing. Who the f are they? I've never seen any fucking thing like this in my life. Who the f are they? <laughs> and it's like, you, like, he's like flopping around in the bushes, flailing through the bushes. Yeah. And the three cops are like, I don't see nothing. I. They're just got, standing there uh, watching, watching a grown man have this incredible tantrum. <laughs> and I mean, you know, they're still in their suits, looking yep. good, right? Everybody around him is professional. Again, shirt, three-fourths untucked, tie <laughs> basically around his head. I mean, the dude is just a his, mess. He's his sweating. Hair is going, his hair's everywhere. Well, that's the best part. Like you said, when you see him in the very beginning of the movie, he is just this clean-cut, just tight suit, everything, he's ready to go. And as the movie progresses, he just becomes more and more disheveled because he cannot figure out that this isn't a gang war. This is just like two meat packers from, you know, two Irish <laughs> meat packers that are just shooting up bad guys. He still can't figure out. He's like, who are these guys? Nothing's fitting in with my theory. 
Oh, gosh. All right, here we go. Mark, you're going to love this one. This is your quote, bud. Would they ever harm an innocent person for any reason? No. They would never do that. Well, the two Irish guys went. The Italian guy, he might, he's kind of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And you got to see Defoe because he's laying in a confessional box, hung over. Just uh, he's still drunk. Oh I mean, my god! Well, the Italian guy, Mike. Uh, I swear to God, I I think he was really shit faced in that scene. I think he really tied one on. I think they paid him in booze. Oh my God! Here we go. We I call this one the prayer. Never. Shall innocent blood be shed? Yet the blood of the wicked shall flow like a river. The three shall spread their blackened wings and be the vengeful striking hammer of God. That's Il Duce. Yep, that's El Duce. Okay, guys, uh, help me out here. Was that their father? Yes. Yeah. Did the whole thing up? is the bit. The beginning is it's their mother that the. Monsignor's referring to. Oh. She died while while Il Duce was in prison. Because when they walk out of the church, they both say, well, we think the Monsignor's finally got it. Uh-huh. Okay. That's it. All right, because I kept thinking, because right. when they came in, when Rocco had died, they were saying a prayer. Right. And he walked in behind them, ready to kill him, and then when he heard them saying the prayer, he holstered his gun and finished the prayer for him, and they turned around and they said, Dad? Right, because Mom died when he'd been in prison, if you caught it, for 25 years. Mom died 30 years prior. Right. And died five years earlier. So the beginning, when they get up at church, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, when the one priest is like, what's going on? Don't worry about it. They go up to the altar, they kiss, they walk out. They're they're paying homage to their mother, and Dad wasn't around to save Mom when she died because he was doing hard time. Right. Okay. There you go. Because I kind of wondered. I wasn't. I never yep. made that connection. But yeah, that's good. Awesome. Am I am I correct in that, Jeff? Um. Yeah. I think that's what's going on. The for my if I got, I think I got this right. The the prayer they did was a family prayer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's why Dad was able to finish it because it was only the family that knew it. Right. Which would, again, there is so much personal character development in this. I mean, and they do it with just those subtle scenes. It's not necessary to, to get to the end of the movie to understand it, but yeah. it helps. It, right. it, it just, it just adds. Right. It just adds layers to it. And, and it's something that you can, you just, by the end of the movie, you know why you like the characters. Right. They're cold blood killers, but you like them. You know, this, this movie definitely gets you know, uh, an award for slow motion action. And it's done really well. It's not like that Matrix slow motion. It's, it's done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. It gets an award for it. It right. is done at the, at the right time. And it's not yeah. super slow, but it's just slowed down the action. And it's and not it, all the time. No, it's not all the time. And then they, they'll even just let it go live at the right moment, too. I mean, there was a lot of smart, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's smart, um, cinematography that was going on and shot sequence throughout the movie. I mean, you're right. 
it wasn't all the time and it didn't continue on forever. It was just, they used it to highlight certain parts of a scene and then they just let things play out. And it was really orchestrated, I thought, very well. <clears throat> Alright folks, that is it with clips. We are now moving on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. The thing that I should have had it posted up and I didn't and I have failed myself again for the last time. Alright, number one. Did anyone jump out of a window? We had people go through confessional windows. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Those count as windows. Is there any other? Were there any other windows? The cat didn't get blown through a window. No, he got shot against the wall. Which I forgot to mention. That that was actually my other. How did we not talk about that scene? I. What was? Aw, what was its name, bitch? (laughs) If you could tell me his name. I'll tell I you will shoot myself in the head. Skippy, skip, Skippy, Skippy, Skippy. Aww, what <laughs> color was it? I tell you what, there was the one point I was actually gonna do a quote of that, and I'm like, you know, even for the man cave me review, it this is like way <laughs> over the top. I would have been bleeping about three quarters of the entire quote. Oh. Like, Screw it. Um, I, I think don't... that's it. I don't remember other people going through the window in this movie. I don't either. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, Somebody went see. through a ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys, actually. We have people go, yeah, the ceilings and uh, air ducts. So, but, but no windows. All right. Uh, and if, if we've missed the folks out there, let us know. You have to call us on this stuff. All right. Uh, let's see. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there an irrelevant female role in this movie? I'd say Willem Dafoe wasn't irrelevant. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, have, we have not talked about that scene. I think this is the point that we really need to. How did wow. we get through this entire show and not talked about the scene where he shows up dressed as a woman, makes out with one of the guys? At what point do you say, "All right, how much am I getting paid to literally play tonsil hockey with William Defoe?" No, have your lip bit by William Defoe. I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking he really enjoyed that scene for some reason. I was a little, I, like I said, I, the last time I felt that uncomfortable was the very first time I watched Deliverance. And. <laughs> well, you know, the part where I felt uncomfortable in the bathroom. Well, there's that part too. It's oh, like, okay, did I... he even bother to take the tidy whities off before he put the garters on? Because it's like, oh, he looked rough once that wig came off. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. But you know, again, a subtle point in that movie, uh, Billy Connolly's character didn't shoot him because he thought he was a woman. Right, and that's how he makes it out. You're right. Right. That, that's, that, that was the, and that was great. Um, you know, but as far as irrelevant female roles, I think that I had read somewhere that the mothers, at least the narration, they were going to do some narrating points or they were going to have the mothers in there and either a flashback or something. And I'm glad if that was what they were going to do, I'm glad they left that stuff out. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a one point when, um, yeah, the, the whole scene when he's on the floor writhing there and he's got his legs spread and everything. Oh. Come to me, big boy. And he pulls out <laughs> where the, the wig comes out and the guy's like, what the fuck? And he pulls out the gun and shoots him in the Shit. throat. And he gets up and he goes, oh, too far, too far. 
Which part? The part you shot him in the throat? <laughs> the part where you were going to, because I'm, you went too far when you showed up looking like Joan Rivers. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> who? Yeah, that, <laughs> He called her primo. <laughs> <laughs> That's where that's you one see, of the things where you to, you didn't see it coming. No. You just didn't see this shit coming. Yeah. All right, moving on because we're completely falling off. Now the trade is completely off the rails. We're doing like the fugitive now. We're like rolling down the hill. So uh here we go. Number uh three. Since there really wasn't a female role here except for going slow and away, um <laughs> the, uh, this well, and the was, hooker. Nah, I don't want to degrade Tawny at that level. No, no, I, no. Tawny couldn't. No, I would. No, no. But I'm just saying, other than Willem Dafoe, the hooker, and the meatpacking chick. No. <laughs> <laughs> the meatpacking man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, next one. Was there an AT montage in this movie? There were a few. There were a few montage moments where they just, it was subtle, I think. For example, one that I can give you was, well, it was the, it was the Skippy, it's the Skippy scene <laughs> where they're getting drunk and they're kind of goofing around and they're playing out, you know, kind of, um, the montage of their evening of just, you know, putting back beers and drinking whiskey and just how that plays out. And, 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 and then they get to the great scene where they just uh, are really excited and bang on a table and apparently, uh, a hair trigger goes off and next thing you know, you have, uh, well, you have, uh, you have art against a wall. <laughs> that was Mark's cat. It was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love that cat, man. That's a good point because I was going to say, you know, there really wasn't a montage in this movie, but now that you say that, that was the montage. Well, and, the the whole bit about how they came up with their cunning plan of sneaking into the Russians. Because even Willem Dafoe goes, who does this? Right. You, you see this in bad movies. Right, right. That you go through the air ducts. And right. then what happens? The only reason this works is they get tangled up in the rope and they're twisting around shooting people. Right. right. They're just emptying, they're just emptying their guns. Right. right. Yeah. But it looks good. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, with, they came through the, uh, the the ceiling with style. I was thinking there was there was another sort of montage where it's just kind of showing. It was just showing them just kind of in an abbreviated way through a series of events. I just felt there was a few of those throughout the movie, um, but subtly. I mean, it's 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 not obvious, you know, changes in scenery, but it's just like cut here, cut here, cut here, and. I'm um, just kind of shortening down a maybe a not a, a huge time a span of time but something you know smaller spans of time but I I thought the 
again, I thought the the way that they cut the scenes really worked well in this movie. Yeah. Along with the different camera angles. But yeah, so I think at least we got one A team montage. Very nice. All right. And last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? No. Really? No. None. Really? Hmm. There's a stunt, there's a, there's a stunt guy, but. That's it, huh? That was it. Nothing. I was, I was surprised. Cause there's not a huge cast, but there's enough in here. I thought it would have been somebody. Yeah, you I know, thought one, somebody, one of the like 33 a mob guys or... that died. Right. One of the 33 that died, you would have thought maybe had been in it, but no. Wow, that's a little bit of a shocker. It was. Yeah, I was shocked. Hmm. Yeah. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Uh, let's go on to the Man Cave Movie Review of this great and fantastic film. Steve, I never heard your, your thoughts on the music of this movie. Oh, yes. Let's talk about the music. Well, shit, let's talk about the music real quick. I, I like anything Irish. You know, I've got that. I've got the affinity to the Celtic music. I don't know why, because I have absolutely no Irish, Scottish, or English blood or anything remotely resembling... Celtic blood in me, as far as I know. If anything, I've probably got <clears throat> a little bit of Gypsy and some something of Attila the Hun, but outside of that, I don't know. But I like the music. It's pretty cool. Did you like the Gregorian chant thing they had going on in there? I, thank you for mentioning that. I am a big fan of the Gregorian chant. I like the... Well, again, I am the uh, I am the papist of the group. I like that stuff. I think it's cool. I, it... it it sort of had like a religious tone throughout the movie, yeah. didn't it? Well, you always had that. I mean, that was pretty much a given when you first saw the movie from the very beginning. You saw that, and it wasn't like in your face. Well, no. maybe it was a little bit in your face when they started doing the uh, some of the prayers and stuff like that. But, I mean, what I got out of this is that everybody looks at the Irish. They're good Catholics. They're hardcore Catholics. They're But, you know, they're not the – it's hard to describe to me, I look at the Irish, and maybe that's the affinity. You know, the Poles are the same way. You know, we're good Catholics. You know, but we like a good fight. We like drinking. We like gambling. We do all that good stuff, but, yeah, we'll go to church on Sunday. We'll be really religious, and we're very faithful. But we're not evangelical. We're not like... You're practical Catholics. Thank you. There you go. We're practical Catholics. Uh, I thought the music fit the movie. I mean, beyond that... I. It, it it helped it helped to set the tone for certain parts of the movie, but beyond that, it, it's not it's not any soundtrack you're going to go out and buy. You've heard Irish music like this before, but it, it it was appropriate to the it set the tone. I think it was good it was good mood music that set the tone for the movie. That's what I liked about it. Let me mention one other thing. I did like the opera music that um, William Defoe listened to. Oh, on oh, his yeah. mobile, um, on his mobile DV, uh, disc CD player. Did you notice that? The, uh, yeah. the, the disc player that he, uh, yeah. you, you wrapped to your belt that was like really hot, like in the early 90s? Yeah. I still have one. Wow. Jeff, what did you think? I liked it. I always thought it fit. I mean, each scene was something distinctive. And like you said, when, when William Defoe started to do his recant of the, events that had taken place i mean you know we go into something totally different you know some classical stuff um you know in the part where you know you know he raises his hand and says there was a firefight i mean you know, <laughs> that what you see on the screen with the slow-mo 
um, you know, his response and the music. I mean, it, it, it is. It is just very well done. I mean, this is a very underrated movie, I think. And there's there's a lot for $7 million that they got out of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music just, I think it just, it, it, it really captures the scenes very well. When you think seven million bucks, that I think half that was just an ammunition. <laughs> yeah. Blanks. Just yeah. it's like they blanks, burn. cigarettes, yeah. and uh, spray paint uh, the cat. I, I, I <laughs> a stuffed cat that they ended up. Uh, <laughs> I mean that scene there. I mean it's just the mechanics of it. I want to know how they did it. I mean, because that looks did like- a real gun go off? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, did they just shoot a cat against the wall? <laughs> well, for the budget, they might have. <laughs> you know, well, the ASPCA may have something to say about that because yeah, I, well. I think they're on. Uh, I think they have a contract. They have to be on the site for all movies. So, well, I think this movie might have gone slip below their radar. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. If you uh, go see this movie and watch that scene, I actually sat there and went. I think they just shot a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Safeties. Always oh, yeah. on your handgun, folks. Yep. Just saying. Because if, if those things can go off like that, well, there you go. Tell, tell that to Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That was the Marvin scene from Ball Yeah, right. Everybody freaks yeah. The whole freakout scene afterwards, because they were trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Well, <laughs> they're all looking at each other like, who got shot? <laughs> There's blood everywhere. Oh, gosh. No. All right, so are we done? We're done with soundtrack and everything. We're done. All right, let's move on to the Man Cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. And you know who's getting this one? Because he hasn't been here for two weeks. Mr. Muncy, what do you say, sir? What do I say? I say this. After watching this one time, I went out and and got this movie as quick as I could so I could watch it again. It's a great movie to not only to view as far as just it, – it's just a well-shot movie. The writing is well done. It makes sense as much as, you know, something like this can make sense with two – Two men who decide that their their goal in life is to right the wrongs of, of evil men. So it's their story. It's not practical, but it doesn't matter. It's fun. It's well done, well directed, well acted. It doesn't take itself too serious at any time. Even the actors are laughing at themselves. And, and it's great because it really keeps kind of a serious movie lighthearted. And, and so you can have fun with it too and laugh along with it and just – just enjoy how over the top it can really be. We didn't really appreciate it at the time, but now looking back, I mean, you know, these, you know, we had some up and coming actors that just were able to define or, or put themselves out there for people to really see the caliber of work that they could do and, and has led us to now having Daryl and The Walking Dead with Norman Reedus. You know, it's, um, it is, it is definitely a classic, a cult classic at that. And, and that's a testament to, you know, the word of mouth following that it has got it really at a time, as we said before, before the internet. I mean, so this garnered cult classicism, stardom, whatever, before the internet, which I think is just huge. Nowadays, I mean, you can, you know, with, with Twitter and Facebook, you can, you can make anything a cold classic because you can get the, get the word out there quickly, but it, it's not for the timid. 
it is an in-your-face type of movie. Um, it's violent, and, and the language is very colorful. But if if that doesn't bother you, you will not at all be disappointed by this movie. You know, I uh, I don't know what you guys you know have it in your heart as this movie being, but I'm going to give this thing a I'm going to give this thing a a, a 9.25. I second the motion. Third. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion carries. This is a fantastic movie, folks. There you go. 9.25. There we go. Awesome. Very good uh, synopsis. Good review. Love it. All right, folks, before we close <laughs> this bad boy out, I have to give a couple of uh, shout-outs and uh, thank yous to some of our uh, dedicated listeners out there. Uh, Esther Shirk, and I hope I spelled your name right, or I spelled it, pronounced it. <laughs> Hold on a second. I have to drink. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> yeah, I should. Uh, she gave us a very nice review on iTunes, uh, uh, actually a five-star, and it's very nice. I appreciate that. And she said, the reviews of my favorite action flicks are great, and it's one of the only podcasts that have the perspective that I want. My opinions differ a bit, but that's to be expected because she's a child of the 90s. Wow. Thank you very much. That's very thoughtful. Yeah, and she said, even though it's a man cave movie review and I'm a woman, I enjoy it thoroughly and, uh, we are touched. Uh, seriously. Well, I'm, we've known that. We've been, we've been touched for a long time. <laughs> well, <laughs> do we, yeah, exactly. No, well, you know what? Clearly she wrote this review while I was in hiatus. And, <laughs> clearly. Um, hopefully she does not go back <laughs> to change these reviews. <laughs> After hearing this one, three yeah. stars. Yeah, she may she may just go right. I retract full and utter retraction of that review. No, very nice. Uh, we do appreciate that. That that means a lot to us, especially coming from uh, the uh, the gentler yet stronger sex. Who, by the way, like in record timing, got the quote of the week yes. this week. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and there we go. Nice. Very nice. It's all over it. Yep. This week's Facebook just blew up. I, who, I mean, I you know what? This is it's sort of a, it's sort of still an obscure movie. I mean, a lot of people don't know about it. But I'll tell you what. Once we put it out there, our listeners who I love, I love were just on it with the quotes. And I mean, I I think we just had a hoot with it this week because people were just there with their favorite quotes throughout yep. the week. It was great. It was, it was great. And we do appreciate that, folks. And like I said, we do appreciate the reviews. Like I said, not to repeat ourselves, but, you know, we do this for ourselves. It's just a lark. It's just a way for us to get together. And if we can impart our humor, knowledge, and insight of some of these great movies, all the more power. And we also appreciate all the support and commentary because that's what it's all about. We're just trying to have fun here. One of the other guys I want to do a shout-out to is uh, our other good and dear friend, Frank Beecham. Uh, I just want to say uh, thanks for the kind words uh, about our last show. I shouldn't say our last show, the show before, The Mummy. He called it excellent. And uh, appreciate Again, the- Jeff, you weren't there. I yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> I think Jeff's remark on that particular show, he goes, I'm really looking forward to listening to the show I'm not going to partake in, or something <laughs> to that effect. Because Jeff, and he actually said, I'm actually glad I wasn't there because I could have completely pooch screwed the entire show because he really didn't like it that much. You know, when we, have you noticed when we get five star reviews, there's a pattern here. 
there is a pattern. There is. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Very nice. Uh, but yeah, Mr. Beecham, thank you very much for the, uh, the kind words, the, uh, the contribution. Like I said, we're just, we're just doing this for, uh, for shits and giggles. It's out there, um, you know, for people to enjoy. We hope we are imparting some, uh, some wisdom and some movies that, you know, folks maybe have never heard of or, or just want to hear a different take on it. So, um, and also, by the way, enjoy 150 Wilderness. Yes, enjoy your 150th in the wilderness. Yes. Yep. Uh, those of us, uh, those of us veterans from the uh, 19th U.S. salute you, sir. That's all. Uh, regulars, by God. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review of this great and fantastic film called The Boondock Saints. Check us out at our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And leave us a comment and tell us if you liked the show or did not like it. Uh, we're also on Stitcher and follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. Has anyone seen my cat? Slover. Why don't you make like a tree and get the f*** out of here? <laughs> oh, very nice. I think I will right after we close this bad boy out. <laughs> and also saying farewell, adieu, and auf Wiedersehen is our other good and dear friend. Our favorite penny on the rail. God knows he performed tonight. <laughs> Jeff, I just wanted to cuddle Muncie. There was a podcast! <laughs> You'd mess up your hair if you had any, right? <laughs> no, he just blood so gloves in my hair. No, he would just have his, he would have his tie tied around his head. I'd raise my 45 in the air and fire it, but I might hit one of my kids upstairs. So, <laughs> While he was river dancing. Right. <laughs> uh, gosh, in behalf of our other good dear friend, Ken, I feel like river dancing. Roni, he sends his regrets in, gar- in regards that he could not be here tonight. Shut up, Jeff. <laughs> he just sends his regrets and regrets. <laughs> That's it. But... He'll probably be here next week unless he has to uh, perform some other Good Samaritan duties. But until then, ciao. Alright folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 108, and today we're going to be talking about The Boondock Saints. This great and fantastic film stars Sean Patrick Flannery, Norman... What the hell is that? (laughs) That was was the That was the penny on the rail. Welcome back, (laughs) Jeff. Seriously. Seriously, I just moved in my chair. I just moved. Can I not move in my chair now? No. Obviously not if it's going to just... I wonder if my mic cord was was (laughs) rubbing on my chair. Uh, (laughs) It's a hot mess already. I have to do this podcast in statue form.
You might have to. That's. Might I mean, where are you rolling it on? Like a 105 year old uh, wooden floor there or something? Because abacus. All right. <clears throat> well, try it again. There's the right. clip. <laughs> did, you, did you notice the last two shows we didn't have a blooper clip? I noticed. I was bummed. We're not even 30 seconds into this. And I can't even get the intro out, and he's already derunning the show. <laughs> he's professional amongst us. Yeah. Oh, God, if you're going to do something, do it very well. Mm. Yeah, well everybody said i got to be good at something, and I know how to derail the podcast. <laughs> Hey, hey, Jeff, why don't you make like a tree and get the fuck out of here? Out of here. <laughs> <laughs> my intro. Damn it. All right. Well, you can still do it. I'll All right. Three, All right. <clears throat> three, two, one. Why didn't you just lie to us? Why didn't you just tell us you were drinking Jameson and not? I don't lie to my friends. Well, you should have at this point. No, I mean, with that I one. Friends. Yeah. I friends. I saved my lies for my wife. I mean, what the hell's wrong? <laughs> oh, shit. You just went there. <laughs> I swear it was Mila Jovovich, honey. I swear. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> Look just like her. I swear. Yeah. Look just like her. Except, like her, you her, know, except you know. she had breasts. Yeah. And you yeah. son of a bitch. Jesus. Son of a bitch must pay. Oh, this week? Uh, really? Wow. <laughs> hey, you know, you could you could put a Coke can on her chest, stand on it, and see the horizon. Okay, we're going to move on, folks, to uh, <laughs> now that we're done uh, making fun of the um, love of my life. and oh, we'll uh, never be done doing oh, that. No. Oh, no, no, because they're bastards. 